Hello, welcome to ATM, Artists Talk Movies, a podcast interviewing creatives about films that have inspired and or influenced their personal studio work. I'm Hyde Fontenot, and I'm here with co-host Aaron Stafford. We're here to talk about contemporary art and the creative impulse with new guests each episode. We're having casual conversations. We don't pretend to be authorities. We're hoping to give you a window into the visionary process of makers. Your aunt's a very lucky woman, Angelica, because she has two lives. She has the life she's leading, also the books she's writing. Mrs. Dalloway said she would buy the flowers herself. Mrs. Dalloway said she would buy the flowers herself. Sally, I think I'll buy the flowers myself. Three different women. This life is what I've always wanted. I had an idea of our happiness. Each living a lie. I wish, for your sake, Leonard, I could be happy. Well, <laughs> hi. What what's happening over there in Berlin? I saw. I heard that you were visiting Frankfurt. Is that right? With oh, uh, you know, actually, we. Jeff? Um, I attended. I intended to go to Frankfurt, but we went to a town called Darmstadt outside of. Frankfurt, and we, I went with Joe Harjo, and who's in Berlin during, doing a residency as well, and we've been doing a lot of things together like this, but um, yeah, Darmstadt, we, we learned, is where they invented plexiglass, no and also, way. <laughs> wait, 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 it gets better, <laughs> and there's a pharmaceutical company there that was the first um, to synthesize heroin, so, uh, <laughs> what? yeah, wow. so, you know, when you visit the city, you get a gift bag with a little piece of plexiglass and a bag of heroin. No, I'm teasing. Um, <laughs> they didn't, they didn't give us anything like that, but there's, there's a lot of cool stuff to see in this little town and I would totally go back and, and it's the sister city of San Antonio, Texas, which is kind of bizarre and random but like that is i forgot about sister sit that is so crazy so it actually we were sponsored by an art collective to visit so it was like a great excuse to go learn about darmstadt germany yeah yeah um cool yeah so it's rather warm in texas i hear oh my god it's already i mean it it we get used to it, but it's always that first initial shock where you're like, yeah. Jesus, fuck, it's hot. I kind of forgot <laughs> about it, and it's back yeah. again. And then you get a little sad that it probably won't ease up until October. So you yeah. just brace yourself and, yeah. you know. Uh, but, I mean, it it is what it is. But, yeah, it's like I, I'll, I'll be recording in my underwear, I'm sure, very soon. <laughs> Oh, that ought to make our listeners quite titillated. (laughs) I'm fully clothed, just so I don't... I'll let Aaron do all of the scandalizing today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good, good, good. Um, So we watched The Hours from 20... Yeah, uh, 2002. Uh And I had never seen this movie before, although I always felt like it was something I should have watched and just never Uh did. Had you seen this movie before, Hyde? I did see this movie in the theaters. Oh, you did. And um, yeah, and but you know, on the second, on the second viewing, and oddly, I haven't watched it again in twenty years. 
But on the second viewing, I, I found it much more effective and engaging. And I was able to, like, I don't know. I, I just, I really did enjoy this film. And actually, this is funny because you were asking earlier, like, differences in Europe and America. And um, this movie made me cry. And I, but, you know, as you know, I cry every day. <laughs> it's part of my practice. And when I cried watching this movie, I realized I hadn't cried in, like, two weeks. So there's a big difference between America and Europe is that, like, I don't have to cry every day here. Oh, yeah. This yeah. Is... Yeah, I'm less terrified uh, in oh, Europe. Oh. <laughs> you know, it struck me that the last two episodes that we've done have been kind of darker movies that have been, yeah. you know, on the melancholic side. It's sort of interesting that we've had this sort of... Uh, you know, type of movie uh, for the last few episodes. And this, of course, is, will continue uh, that sort of feeling. But it, I had never seen it, and I thought it was... Um, I thought it was uh, very moving. Yeah. Um, and But I think I had a different idea of what this movie was about. Right, so I was, right, right. I, I, when this movie came out, I was in high school, and even though I was a very sophisticated high schooler, I didn't see this movie. <laughs> to um, be certain. And I think I, I don't, I think I just thought I thought it, it was about something else. And so yeah. had just a different, and I was sort of the whole time I was like, oh, that's what this movie was about. And then it did uh-huh. that thing that a lot of early Ox <laughs> movies did, which is it. Like, it had these different stories, and then at the end, you're kind of like, oh, they're connected in more than just kind of, yeah. like, superficial I think, ways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. very trendy at the time. It's really woven together. Hey, mm-hmm. um, do you want... So our guest artist this week yeah. is Sukun Aang, and uh, do you want to do her uh, bio? Sure, sure. So, and you've met uh, Sukun out in Berlin, so you're yes, yes, with that's... her, which is super cool. Um, yeah. And so Sukun is um, a Singaporean artist living in Paris who is a self-described introvert. Um, welcome to the club. You're in very good company. And her work is motivated by an existential anxiety, which is curbed through conjuring of alternative psychological landscapes and creating objects and imagery imbued with metaphysical connections. I'm sorry, connotations. Examining these themes allows her to negotiate a purpose of being and living a raison d'etre. She is currently an artist in residence at Kunstlerhaus Bethien in Berlin. Her work has been shown in Paliste, Tokyo, Art Basel, Hong Kong, um, Amari Contemporary Art Center, Singapore, uh, Biennial, I'm sorry, Biennale, oh my goodness, uh, and forthcoming at M Plus Museum in Hong Kong. Ong has also been awarded several international fellowships, including the Freeman Fellowship and Asian Pacific Fellowship. The residencies she has participated in are the Reichs Academy, Mass Mocha, uh, and ISCP, just to name a few. 
her films, which I can't wait to get into, and videos have been screened in many significant uh, platforms such as Arte, uh, which is Canadian, um, International Film Festival, Rotterdam, International Short Film Festival, Oberhausen, and International Festival of Films on Art in Montreal. So, welcome, uh, Sue Kuhn. Thank you. And <laughs> thank you. It's nice to, like, you know, come here to talk to you and, uh, and hide. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah. Of course. It, t- it took a little convincing. Oh, did it? Uh-oh. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but I, I've already decided that Sue Kuhn's going to be my favorite guest. Oh, <laughs> totally. I, it's so it it gives me like you know a lot of pressure. I right. don't know if, like you know, I can live up to the expectation. <laughs> don't mess this up, Sukun. Okay. Yes. <laughs> yes. So so you know, I wanted to ask you right off the bat, we're gonna talk about the hours, but your second choice mm. was Fight Club. Mm-hmm. And I found that so interesting, such different films. And uh, what made you uh, decide to talk about the hours rather than Fight Club. I, I think, like you know, I think what they are connected, uh, how they are connected is that you know these are like you know movies about people trying to um, assimilate into society uh-huh. and uh, and and finding it a hard time, like you know. And the Fight Club is about how men are trying to assimilate into society, and uh, and the hours is about how women is trying to assimilate into society in different eras. And this is how they are connected. And like you know, like we like you have mentioned, like you know, my work is uh, motivated by existential anxiety, and and a lot of this is about like you know how I am trying to assimilate to a society, and uh, and the fight is about anti-establishment. It's about like you know, mm. it's about it's about like you know depression, and mm-hmm. uh, and it's it's all these like you know topic that are related uh, between the fight club and um, and ours. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's a really good explanation. Um, I did not really put that together. I just thought about like yeah, like sensitive energy and then like aggressive energy. But um, I mean, in a nutshell, there's feminine and masculine for you. Yeah. Yeah, I don't but, think that I've ever heard anybody want uh, like uh, the the idea of sort of the hours versus Fight Club. Like they they seem so. <laughs> disparate and yet like you've you've found kind of common ground in both those movies yeah. which is super interesting um and uh but they're both yeah they're both like intense movies and they're both really popular as well like i know this movie um won some academy awards maybe there's lots of nominations and so and i think fight club was also critically acclaimed as well so they both were, were you know important to a lot of people um which i think I think makes sense, you know, for like super intense. And I think the early aughts were just like a really fucked up time, like just in general, like everybody had like, we were just going through a lot, you know? <laughs> uh, so it's like, we all kind of like use these like movies as maybe cathartic outlets for some like really intense emotions. And Well, yeah. you know, storytelling, and it's funny because we do that with our art as well. It's the thing that, like what I look for in art is something like relatable, something mm. that reflects back to me like an experience that like makes me maybe feel a little less alone in the world mm. or just like mm-hmm. a mirroring effect. Yeah. 
So, uh, Sukun, do you, I, I know you have some notes. Is there anything you wanted to start off with talking about the film? Uh, yeah, let me see if I can always... And no pressure. We can just sort of gab, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, always edit. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was going to mention that uh, The Hours is based on a, a book. Yes. And adapted to a screenplay. And uh, Michael Cunningham wrote the book. And then um, I was watching an interview with him, and he was saying like, when he came onto the project, the, f- the three lead roles were cast, but then they mm-hmm. worked on the uh, supporting cast together. But uh, yeah, I think it was it was an exciting project because the book had been successful. And mm-hmm. I mean, it's such a star-studded cast. Oh, yeah. I don't know. Could we get just a really quick uh, summary of the movie, Sukun, that way that our listeners have kind of a little bit more about what we're talking about. Like if about. they haven't seen it before. Yeah, just a real quick yeah, yeah. recap. So like, uh, I think like the premise of this, I shouldn't say I think, so the premise of this movie surrounds uh, the novel Mrs. Dalloway that uh, Virginia Woolf wrote. And uh, and it's about three women in different three, three different era. Uh, really, uh, how their life is intertwined with the storyline of Mrs. Dalloway. And the first woman would be Virginia Woolf. And uh, and then there's a third woman who would be like you know the character that Meryl Streep uh, plays. Mm-hmm. Her name is Paris uh, Bond. Mm-hmm. And uh, and the third woman would be like you know the the character that Julia Moore plays, and uh, and her, her and her character is named Laura Brown. Mm-hmm. And uh, mm-hmm. and how these these three women's uh, life uh, interconnected mm-hmm. in, uh, around the storyline of uh, Mrs. Dalloway. Mm-hmm. And, so generally, um, that's the premise of this film. But what is interesting to me about this film is like you know how women in different era is trying to like you know assimilate into society, and uh, and also there's this uh, idea of like you know the um, the struggle between like creative life as well as like you know the mundane and trivial life because um, because in the film like uh, the the uh, the character of Ed Harris. Keep um, teasing uh-huh. um, her, his good friend, um, which is the character of like Mara Street, how she's trivial and how she's like, mm-hmm. you know, she's uh, really absorbed into like, you know, party planning and things like that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and, and this is like, you know, I guess like, you know, the struggle between like, you know, artist life and uh, non artist life. I think, like, you know, in a sense, like, you know, I think there is this envy of like, you know, living an alternative life. But then at, at the same time, like, you know, from our side, like, you know, we also envy the idea of, like, having, like, a more mundane and stable life. And, mm-hmm. uh, and it's, there's yeah. also, there's this dilemma between uh, these two worlds. And, uh, and yeah. And so, yeah. So. That's really true. There's, uh, like, a lot of fantasies about a bohemian lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And then, like, maybe distrust of the way artists live. And that we're shirking responsibility somehow. And then also from the creative side is that when people do have more stable lives, like creatives judge them sometimes harshly about kind of tapping out or being materialistic or too interested in comfort. So, um, yeah, and that and that's a big dynamic maybe between Meryl Streep's character and Ed Harris's character is that they were once romantic. and But they're both gay. And mm-hmm. um, now, in, in contemporary story storyline, 
And um, I think Meryl Streep really, like, she loved being with Ed Harris. But, um, you know, she's she's reconciled herself to just be, like, his his main support, I think. Like, she checks on him every day. He's dying of uh, AIDS in, um, I'm, I'm guessing it might have been in the 90s is when it was set, even though the film's produced in 2002. Right. Yeah. I th- well, the, the book was written uh, before that. So I guess, yeah, they're probably setting it in the 90s. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, yeah, maybe on first viewing, when I saw this in the theaters, that maybe that was part of it, too, is that I wasn't able to connect their storylines the way that I did this time mm-hmm. to see the repetition. Even the way certain characters would be, say, uh, fixing their hair in the mirror or some gesture around, like, picking up a book or getting a teacup, and then you'd see Meryl Streep do it and Julianne Moore do it and then Nicole Kidman do it. So it was, uh, yeah, interesting. It was a very artful film. Not arty, but, like, it actually set up a rhythm and had some, like, beautiful moments. Yeah, that scene where... um... Julian Moore, the 1950s housewife who is, you know, I'm not sure if like repressed is the the right word. I mean, she does have an intimate moment with um, Tony, Tony Collette, Collette, who's like this total like Stepford wife kind of character yeah. who's like, you know, I love, you know, baking cakes and I love my husband and I want to have babies and and then um, her and, and Julian Moore have, like, a kiss. Or, like, yeah. there's, like, this moment where they're more intimately connected. And then we, yeah. we kind of discover that Julian Moore is not particularly happy with her situation. And Yeah, her yeah. husband. Mm-hmm. Yeah, her domestic wife. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, but she has this, you know, she's sort of, throughout the movie, you can tell that, like, it's kind of pointing you towards some suicide or thoughts of suicide. And then there's that oh, really yeah. beautiful scene where she's in the bed and she's sort of contemplating killing herself. And then it gets sort of swept up with like water that kind of rushes in. Um, and it's yeah, just like, like a dream it's, image. Yeah. And it's the only time that happens in the movie. And I, I also watched some interviews of the, of the, of the writer. Um, and I thought he's, he spoke really well on this movie like he actually said he was like i'm not particularly he didn't feel like a movie adaptation would ruin the book like maybe some authors feel like oh if it Uh deviates a little bit i'm gonna be really upset but he was like take it and make it into a movie it's gonna be different yes you know but he's that's a very good point yeah Yeah, because it's a different art form it's a it couldn't be the same it could yeah, yeah. It's yeah. impossible to like try to 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 uh, to make them identical. Yeah, yeah. but he yeah. said that there are other kind of surrealistic moments that were that were considered, but that the director felt like just having that one that whoosh of water. Yeah. that was that was enough, and it's like that. I think was such a great call because it it was such a great visual moment and it did sort of remind me a little bit of your work Sukun where you just have this like they're very quiet pieces but they have so much impact and that one scene I was like oh that feels like your work in a way I don't know if that makes sense or not but 
I saw you yeah, work she, in that moment a little bit. Yeah, she was like, so the hours, like, you know, uh, 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 what I read was like, you know, um, David, uh, Michael Cunningham was uh, mm-hmm. trying to, uh, was writing it the way uh, Virginia Woolf would write it, which is like, you know, interior monologue that is fused with like, you know, exterior narration. So, it, mm-hmm. uh, so it's this style of writing that interweave between the reality as well as like, you know, uh, thoughts with inside the mind it's really hard to represent it in a in in a cinematic form so so it's interesting to create uh, for Stephen Daudry uh, to create this uh, moment of like you know interior monologue in the sense of this surreal scene and my work in like you know, uh, relates a lot to Virginia's Woolf work because mm-hmm. um like her work, like you know, we are interested in like you know the complexity as well as uncertainty of uh, the human experience of perception of like you know, and um, yeah of existence and uh, and and also like you know my work uh, also addresses the idea of like you know the interior world that mm-hmm. is um, that is in contrast with the exterior world and the met- uh, and things that are tangible and intangible. Mm-hmm. So so in this sense, like you know, uh, I relate a lot to. Um, to Virginia's Wolf work, and uh, and I think like you know this film is trying to in in a cinematic way is trying to represent that in especially in that scene, mm-hmm. and uh, and I remember like you know when I watched um, this film twenty twenty three years ago is that twenty yeah twenty years or ago or twenty one years yeah. ago yeah, yeah uh, and I yeah I was uh, uh, I was exiting the cinema and there is also a a couple that was like right behind me and the, the one of the, the the woman in the couple was like you know was uh, wondering aloud like aloud like you know why did um, Julian Moore character try to kill herself because she seems like you know she has a really nice life like you know she has a husband that adores her she has like you know they they live in like a nice house and they have a car they have like you know it seems like uh-huh. she's living this perfect life like you know it doesn't really make sense to 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 want to live this uh, life uh-huh. and and also like to want to kill herself and uh, and and I think like you know a lot of people I don't know like you know I, I don't know if it's because I, I'm an artist like you know, uh, and we want to live a life that's different that's not like you know that's not a conform life mm-hmm. and uh, and I totally could relate to um, that character because um, it's uh, what the life that is prescribed to us is not necessarily the uh, the life that society prescribed to us is not necessarily the life that we want to lead. Or that brings you happiness. Right, yeah. Right, yeah. Right. So material comfort doesn't bring us happiness. Mm. Right. Right? So, yeah. So I, th- I think like the, 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 the theme about this, uh, the, the fun uh, talks about that too. Like, you know, Clarissa Wong, she's like, you know, she's wealthy. She's an editor uh, in New York. Like, you know, she's... Yeah, yeah. very successful on so, so many uh, counts. But she can't really find happiness either. Right. She she has a longtime partner, a woman, who she doesn't really have. She's, it's played by Allison Janney, and um, she, it's clear that she doesn't have a passion for her girlfriend, but she still holds, she still pines for Ed Harris, mm-hmm. who's like, was her, you know, her romantic partner when she was very young. So I don't know if she's pines for him or she enjoy living under his limelight, like uh, you know, like yes. Yeah. So like you know, because she feels irrelevant and like you know, being a friend and a close uh, 
um, uh, being a close friend with uh, someone that is like you know a famous writer yeah. is gives her rele- social relevance, and yeah. this is something that you know she enjoy having. That's why like you know yeah, she yes yeah so so that's also this mm. uh, this idea of like you know um social relevance like uh-huh. you know so we feel like I think like the which also relates to like you know the movie the Fight Club uh-huh. I feel that if you're not uh, if you're not movie star, if you're not like rock star, then we feel like you know we don't have social relevance <laughs> and our life is insignificant and it's not worth living. And this is how like you know the media uh-huh. has taught us to think about yeah. media. So 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 this is like you know this is also how the film question yeah like, uh, uh, this idea of like mediocrity and living a trivia mundane life. Yeah, so, I think like you know there's nothing wrong with it, but in the sense like you know the world. The social media has made us feel that yes. there, there is a problem with like living a mundane life. And yeah. There's a problem with not living, uh, not being famous, or not yeah. being respected, or yeah. have a social standing, acknowledged for just anything. Right. So, so yeah. <laughs> for acknowledged for your plastic surgery. Uh, so Nicole came in wore um, a prosthetic nose, which evidently like kind of enabled her to also get into character, which was really important. Like. You know, uh-huh. she is a really beautiful woman. And so this kind of, like, got her outside of maybe her kind of, like, external beauty. Um, like, relying on her beauty. Some people would say it was so brave that she she let herself be normal. I know. Well, and also, she wore that nose um, out in public to avoid kind of paparazzi, I guess. So I was Uh like, that was a smart move. Um, But evidently, (laughs) and this is not going to be surprising, Harvey Weinstein did not like the nose. And I'm like, of course he didn't. Um, Because, of course, you know, Miramax produced this movie uh-huh. Uh, and also, he didn't like the soundtrack by Philip Glass either. And I'm like, Harvey Weinstein, I mean, obviously sucks, but like, yeah, just is so off the mark on this one. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, this idea of being kind of uh, having a, a, I don't want to say mundane, but it's like with your work, Sukun, I feel like you take these mundane kind of um, ordinary materials or ordinary kind of, um, uh, sort of subject and and you're able to kind of transform them um, into something ephemeral into something poetic and it's like I think we forget that that's we can do that it with the life that we have this you know the the mundane parts of our life like it doesn't have to be it can we can have meaning to it you know we don't have to be these celebrities you know to be important or to be valued yeah yeah, I think like you know that's uh, that's the role of art, which is uh, you know to elevate a mundane life, and it doesn't necessarily have to do with like you know celebrity or like you know or social status. It's about living a full life within yourself. And uh, I th- this uh, someone said this thing about uh, Emily Dickinson, one of my favorite poets, uh-huh. and he said like you know she who contains uh, the universe does not need the world. So. Uh-huh. So yeah, so like you know, so that's like you know, the, uh, that reflects like you know the character of like Virginia Woolf as well, like you know, because um, Vanessa Vanessa Bell was like saying to her daughter that um uh, that that her aunt has two life, the the normal yeah. life that she led and the life that 
and that is yes. the book that she's writing. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And uh, and that's uh, that's uh, so it relates so much to uh, us as artists that uh-huh. you know, we have two lives as well. We have the oh, yeah. life that that you know that, that universe that we are creating in our yeah. head that we are trying to realize in uh visually in the exterior world and there's also the part of us that are like you know just regular people very mundane like you know not very interesting doing almost nothing like you know yeah so so yeah so this how like you know i relate to this film like you know Uh how it's it's okay to be trivial it's Uh fine in fact like you know one of my favorite um like you know psychotherapist uh uh alan de botton uh-huh. He, he, he was saying like you know in fact like, you know people who are who who grew up like you know confident uh, don't need to have don't need don't feel the stress to have any uh, social status or to to have ambition because like you know because they they are comfortable just being themselves uh-huh. and yeah and this is something that like you know that is very interesting because I was just listening to some like psychological uh, like kind of coaching. And it's talking about like earning your place in the world, and I don't know if we talked about this already, Erin. Maybe on the podcast, but um, how how yeah, if you feel secure and you feel loved, and you don't feel like you have to earn someone's love all the time, sometimes you're just not motivated. You know, you're kind of at peace, and sometimes like the workaholic tendencies that we need to have as an artist are actually kind of like a trauma response. From mm-hmm. you know, because it's not just like, oh, I'm being loved right now, but it's like, am I going to be cared for? Will I have food and shelter? You know, and will I be extra, extra, uh, or will I be able to remain in the group? You know, yeah, you yeah. know, I wanted to go back, Sikun, to you leaving the theater and overhearing this woman saying, like, I don't really understand why Julianne Moore's character wanted to kill herself and you know that's so interesting because um i mean this woman will never know who she was (laughs) or what her life was about i feel like her name was leah stafford but i could totally be wrong Uh, that's erin's mother mother. (laughs) right like not understanding like what's wrong you have no problems get over it yeah yeah but but like to like like zero in on her like sitting, <clears throat> there's a moment in the film where it's her husband, John C. Riley's birthday, mm-hmm. and she's made a cake for him, and they've had a little party, and then he's sitting in bed, and she's in the bathroom, and he's calling out to her, Laura, are you coming to bed? And she's like, yeah, yeah, I'm brushing my teeth, but she's just sitting there, because she's dreading getting into bed with him, because she doesn't want to be intimate, because she doesn't want that kind of attention from him. And she's just not happy, but like this, this woman will never know that was watching the film just wasn't picking up on the angst of being in a situation where you're like, yes, I should be happy. I have all these things. I am not happy. Mm-hmm. And, and like it drives somebody to like self-destruction. If, especially if no one can acknowledge their pain. Right, yeah, and uh, I guess like you know, a lot of us think like, uh, well, at least we are brought up to think like you know, material comfort is uh, what we need. Yeah, and with enough material comfort, we don't have, we, we won't have any like, 
you will be happy. Yeah. And uh, and it's it's material comfort is just yeah. not enough. And it's what every parent insists that we mm. pursue, mm-hmm. um, especially as creatives. You know, my my family would just always encourage like a square job, and it was like, believe me, I'm working, I'm working. You know, yeah. but I don't I don't care about the things. I don't need a new car. My car yeah. is fine. You know, but my time is important to me. But um, yeah, like yeah, is that we have a lot to go against the, the dominant culture in terms of materialism and what what kind of gives you a legitimate existence mm-hmm. in terms of what you own and how you spend your time. Mm-hmm. I think like legitimate existence is, uh, is, is, is the key word, I think. Uh, because, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's a lot that is, a lot of it is rest in quantifiable, um, uh-huh. like, uh, Quantifiable result, like you know, uh-huh. the, the amount of money we can accumulate, like yep. you know, the accolade we can accumulate. But it's not; it's beyond that. And uh, and I guess like you know, the reason why people, the non-art people, the the larger public enjoy artwork, it's because like you know, we artists give them that. We give them like you know, uh, uh, an aspiration beyond just material well-being. Mm-hmm. And uh, right, yeah. it's in the spirit realm. It's in, um, yeah, it's I, soul, it's not material, yeah. I Go ahead, Erin. I wanted to ask you, Sukun, um, in, I kind of mentioned it where Julian Moore's uh, character had baked a cake for her husband, um, <laughs> and, like, so in that, in the movie, um, she kind of struggles uh, baking the cake and kind of has a cake fail, which is one of my favorite shows <laughs> yeah. on Netflix, by the way. And <laughs> and then um, and then she is sort of frustrated. She throws it away and then she she bakes another one. But I know I saw um, on your website that you have a body of work that isn't cake, but it's sort of related with the bread. And you even had a piece that had like these kind of drippy candles on it. And I was kind of curious, like what your thoughts were with that, uh, those scenes in the movie with Julian Moore's character and these attempts at, because in the movie, I don't know if y'all remember, and I kind of forgotten um, this, but I wrote it down this morning, which is that the little boy, uh, the son says something that, you know, unless we make him the cake, the the dad's not going to know that we love him. And Uh and I'm like, oh my God, like, that's that's such a heavy idea, you know, Uh Uh, these gestures. And the way little little kids are so literal like that too. Mm -hmm. Like they kind of (laughs) don't understand figures of speech or nuances. Mm -hmm. But in a way, like, Sometimes those gestures are a way of people showing that they love somebody or, you know, that they uh-huh. care. Um, and love I don't know languages. That, yeah, love languages. Does Do you think that kind of relates back to your your body of work, Sukun, with the bread and the crystals and, and some of that? Or? So, uh, you should, so she, the, in the character, she was trying to make, like, the perfect cake. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then in my work, like, you know, what I'm trying to do is to avoid perfection. Mm-hmm. It's a uh, perfection is not interesting to me. Like you know, in fact, like totally. I'm trying to create things that have like you know that has oxymoron that are like you know that are jarring that are, like mm-hmm. you know, that are out of ordinary. 
And this series of uh, bread with crystal growth, uh, is that it's like, you know, it's the dichot, it's a, it's an oxymoron object because uh, bread is a comfort food and the crystal growth made it strange and unfamiliar. <laughs> so this is a word that has like, you know, that has to do with like, you know, it has to also have the connotation of love because love is uh, comforting and uh, familiar, uh, uh, familiar as well as strange at the same time. Like, you uh-huh. know, when we are in love with someone, like, you know, that person, we know that person at the, at the same time, we know nothing about the person. <laughs> and also, it's uh, it's comforting and painful at the same time because, like, you know, you, uh, you, you want love, you feel love, it's good to be loved. But then at the same time, like, you know, love makes you vulnerable. So, this, mm, yes. the, so this series of, uh, this series of bread with crystal growth is, um, talks about that. It talks about the, uh, it's an oxymoron object. It talks about, like, mm. you know, the contradiction between, uh, of love. And uh, yeah, so 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 yeah. In so generally, like uh, the idea of like you know Julia Moore trying to make that perfect cake when mm. well, when she can't, like you know the the idea of living up to expectation. That's uh, like yeah, it's 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 symbolic, and I guess like you know she does she doesn't have the capacity to live up to that expectation mm. of her. Yes, and uh, and she's also in a way not interested to live up to the expectation. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, yeah, and and when her friend comes to visit, uh, she gets a like a knock on the door from neighbor Tony Collette, and she's looking at the cake and sort of like laughing at it and going like, "Laura, what's the problem? Anybody can bake a cake. It's easy. Anybody can do this." Mm-hmm. But you can kind of see like eat in her personal style and presentation too. She's so manufactured in who she is. There's nothing natural about her. She's like squeezed into undergarments that like make her body the shape that that the fifties era demanded. Those clothes, you know, and like her her makeup and her hair is done, and she has some like terrible news to share with Julianne Moore about like oh, her yeah. her health. But she's like smiling through all of it, and like not really able to acknowledge like the, the pain that she's in. You know, and and she, you know, she does have a little breakdown, but she recovers really quickly, and it's like nothing's nothing's up. You know, this is the second film that we've uh, had on the podcast that's uh, Virginia Woolf adjacent because we did Orlando, Ooh. and oh, I um, I love that film so much, and I've always thought like I'll read this. I had. <laughs> I had a copy of Orlando for 30 years and I <laughs> could not read it. And I'm not a very good reader. No, it's not you. Like, I, like, you know, I, it's I, difficult. I, I, I love, like, you know, I love the idea of Virginia Woolf. I find it very difficult to read her simply because, like, you know, in her writing, she weaves between, like, you know, uh, external narration and interior monologue. Uh-huh. And for a dyslexic like me, it's really hard to, like, distinguish, like, you know, what what realm are we in? Yes. And then it confuses me and then I have to reread it again. <laughs> so so it's not easy for this okay. So maybe uh this like So yeah. yeah. So the storyline is like, you know, what if we can watch the film but I don't I I find it hard to read Vision you know, but Yes. I can read the Tolstoy, like all those things easier than Vision Wow, okay, that's very comforting. Because I've always felt like a little bit of a failure that I couldn't get through Virginia Woolf. You know, yeah, yeah. This story kind of reminded me of a movie that really—I mean, as I don't know why, but as a sixteen-year-old, it 
it struck a nerve, which it's a very similar kind of dynamic, which is The Awakening by Kate Chopin. Have you all heard of this book before? It's I a breeze to get through. If, as, if a 16-year-old can get through it, anybody can get through it. Um, <laughs> but it's like you have a dissatisfied housewife. This one's set in, like, uh, Louisiana. Um, oh. And she ends up... I think there's a lot of dissatisfied housewives in Louisiana. Yeah. And, and then she ends up kind of, like, um, having affairs, and then she, um, she drowns herself. Um, in the Shit. end, but it's a, if you want something that's a little, it's not, maybe I don't, I've, I've not tried to, to read Virginia Woolf, although I did put it on my audiobook list. Cause I was like, I need to, this sounds like it's right up my alley. Um, but I have not tried, but Kate Chopin is, it's, it's, it's a very easy read and it's very short. Um, and I remember okay. it as being very good, but anyway. Um, I did want to bring up, okay, so this is current events here, and I've not heard uh, the, the update, but the Titanic uh, oh, yeah. rescue attempts, not that the original Titanic, but the mini yeah. sub-Titanic. So, so a group of tourists going uh-huh. in a submarine to look at the wreckage of the Titanic, and now they're in current time, at mm-hmm. the time of this podcast recording, they're mm-hmm. still lost, right? Mm-hmm. Have yeah. you been hearing any of this so and and also the juxtaposition of five or six rich people in a submarine and all the resources going to save them versus like like tens of thousands of uh people drowning in the mediterranean in the last few days trying trying to yeah yeah as refugees just trying to find some safety um so, uh, what, what, did you bring up Titanic because of uh, like it being a film reference? Or? No, but that's a good. I that's that in addition. Uh, but I think um, I was thinking about when I was thinking about this movie, and maybe one reason why I hadn't watched it as I've gotten older is because I was worried that it was going to be a sort of like glimpse at kind of ennui kind of privileged melancholy like these white women Uh, who are like you know what i like you know and and we do feel for them um and i and i also think that this film now um it kind of is sprinkled with this word i wrote it down um it is um oh crap what is it what did i write down um uh, it's where it's elitist a little bit like I think some people uh-huh. feel like this oh. is, is a bit bourgeois. Art- yeah, bourgeois. Um, you know, it's it's definitely has the. It's not like a. It's not a popular culture film. It's you know highbrow. It 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 feels uh, maybe a little Oscar Beatty. Maybe you know a like what? Oh, you know like how you've got Oscar bait where they're trying to make a film just to win the Oscar for best picture. Oh, Oscar bait! Oh, yeah, I was hearing like I was like, what? Mm-hmm. What did she just say? Sorry. Yeah, well, right. Yeah. Well, it's star studded. It's based yeah. on an acclaimed novel. It's yeah. got uh, the director Stephen Daltrey. Is that mm-hmm. Is that he is is a uh, a successful theater director. And so, you know, like people are really, yeah, it's true. It is kind of, and also then you've got creepy, uh, what's his name? Oh, <laughs> the Harvey producer, Weinstein. Weinstein. Yeah. Who always manipulated the Oscars. Yeah. 
Yeah. And but so, yeah, it would definitely be Oscar bait. It's like, I, yeah, it's... I guess, like, with and thinking about this movie, and as I'm sort of, like, making room in my brain for this, um, you know, Titanic sort of situation, and I'm kind of asking myself, like... <laughs> How much do we care about people? Not that they're the same exactly, but it's like you're kind of dealing with some like privilege and like how much room, how much empathy, or how much room do we have uh, to give them empathy? Yeah. Right. When like they're pretty much taken care of for them. And I'm not saying that like right. I didn't feel for yeah. these, yeah. all of these women, mm-hmm. but I don't know. It just, I started thinking about that with that Titanic right. scenario. Yeah. Yeah, I, I hear like you know what? Why are you going for um uh errand? Like you know you have to uh, because this film is about three women that are like you know relatively privileged mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, so it's hard uh it, it, you it's hard to re- uh like you know feel sorry for them because like you know obviously they are doing quite well they are not the uh, they are not suffering in terms of like material. Uh, but what I see about what is interesting to me about this film is like again, like you know, I want to refer to the Fight Club because in the Fight Club there is this uh, mm-hmm. the what uh, one of the scene was has Brad Pitt saying like you know we are the middle child of like you know of uh, of history like we that we don't have a great great war our great war is ourselves and then our great depression is yeah uh. so that that's the thing that I'm talking about like you know we uh, if we are talking about like you know first world. Uh, problems then yeah it's a first world problem but then like you know I, I was wondering like you know is this then does it mean like you know that 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 our 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 emotional life is not mm-hmm. real exactly mm-hmm. exactly you know, yeah and, and uh, yeah so I, I honestly I mean just quickly going back to the Titanic rescue I am totally horrified about what like I'm putting myself in that little whatchamacallit down there and like imagining what's going on in <laughs> the submarine head. yes it's not really a submarine yeah. but it's like a something it's like crazy I, technology you know right right yeah i know what you're saying because like i my first reaction wasn't incredible empathy because i was thinking in the same way that like millionaires are buying a seat on elon Musk next rocket yeah i'm like oh if it blows up well you know they kind of you know (laughs) too bad so sad (laughs) like you took a risk that wasn't necessary but you know i was going to point out in terms of these characters and their mental health Mm -hmm. and their and what they're dealing with in terms of as existential crisis Mm -hmm. um you know you've got the maslow's hierarchy of needs which is like at the base of it, I'm, I was going to look at a chart, but at the base of it, it's like food, shelter, clothing, you know? And it's, so it's easy to see like when you don't have those, you can't be happy at all. Mm-hmm. But as, as those things become secured, you move up and you need like, so it physiological needs is the base. Then right. safety needs is the next layer. Then love and belonging is the next esteem is the next and self-actualization is the very tip top mm. of this Maslow's hierarchy of needs. So, you know, in terms of these characters and where they are and what their life is about, it's like you, you can't assume that like, Oh, you have groceries and you have a car, you have transportation and you have a partner 
that you would not then feel human tragedy mm-hmm. and or dissatisfaction. And like Julianne Moore's character, uh, Laura Brown, mm-hmm. is miserable and you yeah. feel it and you ache for her because she cannot even name the thing that is kind of killing her yeah. and just so heavy on her spirit. But like, I, I don't feel like it's self-manufactured. I feel like she is truly suffering. Well, and you know, if we think about 1950s housewives, like they were very heavily medicated, like the upper middle yeah. class, yeah. like whatever it was that they were taking. I forget the name. Of Valium. The name. Valium. Thank, thanks to the five. Uh, oh, what's the the family, the pharmaceutical family that oh, just the Sackler. Sackler, yeah. right? They were they're behind um, Valium as well, with the full knowledge that it was addictive, and went yeah. forward with it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and also like you know, for, I know a couple of friends who has like mothers that are like you know, alcoholic. Alcohol, yes, you know, and that's a real problem because like you know, it's a generation trauma that is still like you know, it's still passing totally. on. Yeah, so yeah. it's also something that is uh, that is interesting to um, to talk about as well. So it's not just about material comfort, like you know, yeah. it's also about like uh, the the, the self fulfilling is interesting because. If you, you have mothers that are not, like, self-fulfilled, then you have, like, you know, broken children as well. Oh, yeah. So, so, yeah. so it's People like, don't it's, suffer in isolation. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. Well, and a lot of, like, the, uh, the husbands and the fathers had suffered trauma from World War II, so you have that in the mix. It's, like, it's not surprising that, like... Oh, right. The, yeah. Um, yeah. The child... They're really like, pretending... Yeah, oh, totally. They're really pretending everything's cool because they have yeah. stuff and they're yeah. not at the war anymore. But it's like, they're not okay. Yeah, and you have a generation, like the child in the movie who eventually, spoiler alert, yes. you know, is the writer who has AIDS, who's, who, right. who dies. It's mm-hmm. like, not surprising at all that he grew up pretty fucked up. Um, in fact... Right. It, even as a child, you see how nervous he is, and he oh, keeps yeah. checking in with his mom. Yeah, he feels insecure as a as a child. He knows that you know. I can think like intuitively as a child, yes. he understands that is that this his parents are make um uh, playing pretense, like you know, making pretense. Yes. And uh, and it, yeah, he knows that his father is not doing. His father is acting like the the happy man, uh-huh. the happy content man, and um, and she observed that his mom, his mother is not happy. Uh-huh. And then he, he, as a child, feels insecure about that. You know, you just you just added another layer of this film for me because I love John C. Riley. He's really like I have a crush on. Him. Oh, <laughs> and in this film, in this film, I'm like, why is his acting so weird? So uh-huh. like, like off kilter, a little wooden. And I was like, wait, he. It's because he's an actor in the film. But his character is acting actor. like everything's okay. And I really didn't put that together. I was like, oh, it's so uncomfortable watching him. And I don't know why. And it's because he, he knew everything was so precariously balanced. Mm-hmm. And he, he tells this story to the child, but he's really kind of telling it back to the wife about like when I met your mom and why I wanted to be with her. And she's trying to stop him mm-hmm. because it's almost like he's telling this to like uh, solidify what they have 
when she's like, we don't really have that. Yeah. That's all your fantasy. Yes. But she can't say that. Yeah. Yeah. So, so she was recruited to fulfill his fantasy. Yeah. And, uh, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And she's not some yeah, and of course like you know she agreed to marry him, but then like you know there's also this uh, uh idea of like you know there's not a lot of choices for women yes uh, in the fifties where there's like you know no contraceptive available yeah. and like you know very few working opportunity because like you know right after like you know during the world uh, during World War Two in America like you know uh, when the men are away like women get that's work and make money yes. and then when the men come back they, the jobs will return to men and yeah. the women will go back to the domestic realm mm-hmm. and uh, and yeah and it's also like a problem for a lot of women to uh, to not be able to yeah to uh, again like not be dependent on men mm-hmm. and uh, yeah. yeah and and they are dependent on these men that has like PTSD yes so there's also this a lot of undermining problems yeah. that, uh-huh. that that, that Yeah, that is like, you know, that's underlying the storyline in the relationship. You you know, this is interesting, too, because the political slogan of Trump is make America great again. And I think the thing that he points at is this quintessential 50s America that, like, a lot of us have recognized that was never reality. Mm -hmm. That was always a put on. It was always a fabrication. And people were like you know those were households with like you said a lot of alcoholism mm-hmm. uh incest mm-hmm. and molestation mm-hmm. and people mm-hmm. people weren't talking about it and you couldn't say anything against the family or the patriarchy because that's you you threaten good society yeah. if it was yeah. like kill the messenger if yeah. you have a problem you're a bad person yeah. Not <laughs> if you're pointing out the problem, you created the problem. Right, is wait. is their thinking? Mm-hmm. Well, that kind of I mean total tangent here, but I've been watching this documentary, and I'm going to segue into your documentary, Suku, here in a second because I really oh, want yeah, to yeah. talk about that. But the Duggars, do y'all remember the Duggars who had Ooh. like 20 kids or whatever? They're like a TLC. They were reality. Stars, yeah. right? Yeah, like, I never watched it, but I'm aware of them. The documentary is fascinating uh, because they were in a cult, like a Christian cult, and there was um, uh, child abuse happening and and sexual yes. abuse, and nobody was talking about it, and it was totally put under the rug to have this fucking TV show. It was so stupid. But yeah, they were totally in a cult. So producers and, knew that this was happening. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, and they were trying to like spin it or like it was just it's so infuriating oh my god could, could uh hey guys i've got some notes could we you not fuck your kids this week yeah well, while we're the, while we're in production it was the uh the oldest brother who was m- molesting the, the younger kids because you know the there's this huge gay age gap between you know they have 20 kids or whatever so it's like yeah. crazy. right and right. they're very much into like gender norms like the the women were like cleaning and cooking and the men were not doing those things and Anyway, just, <laughs> they were raping. Yeah, yeah. Cleaning them and were raping. Repressed, you know, like they they had this thing that was like, we're gonna I'm waiting to kiss for marriage. Like stupid shit like that. It's crazy. Oh yeah. my god. Yes, that it was insane. Anyway, but uh going off of this idea of documentaries, Sukun, you have a documentary that uh you did in was it two thousand nineteen? Yes. 
Um, yes. Living for I got to. Did you? Yeah, see I got to see it, oh, and I ha- I just have to say I want to show it to every working artist that I know. I felt like it had such valuable information, and I've talked about it with a lot of people. But um, maybe you could summarize what's in the film, Sukun. So again, uh, the gist of this film is like you know, uh, for a long time I felt like a very financially insecure as an artist, and then in two thousand sixteen I went around to talk to artist friends about like you know how we make a living and uh, and the precarity that we face this because like you know when we see each other in like openings like you know usually we would we would put up like, the best our best uh, self like you know mm-hmm. you uh, we would say we would say like uh, what exhibition that we are doing next like you know we wouldn't say really like you know what is like you know what's not working in our career mm-hmm. and it creates a lot of anxiety uh, and, uh, and jealousy in our community mm-hmm. like you know we would think like you know other people are doing way better than we do and uh and then my then i do and it, and it, and i guess like you know so this film goes uh this film really talks about like you know the the challenges we face in our career and how like you know even people within um the arts world doesn't really understand it. it, it even within artists as well, a lot of artists imagine like you know if that uh that, that certain artist is like represented by a big gallery by uh who, uh, who is like doing a lot of show over, is probably making a lot of money. But it, it's really not true. Like you know, uh, one of the artists that I spoke to, she has like you know so many um exhibition that she doesn't even have time to uh go to take up her part time job to pay for her food. And she's not selling through the exhibition, so she's right. like, you know, she said that, you know, yeah. So we imagine, like, you know, because exhibition doesn't pay, oh, yeah. so so we imagine and they're expensive. Yeah. It's expensive. They're expensive. Work. Yeah, and shipping. Yeah. And so yeah. So we uh, so uh, and also like the idea that you know um the uh the 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 payment for artists is always pushed to the to the commercial market, uh-huh. and uh, but the commercial market is like you know it, there's a. Uh, the commercial market cannot support like you know this uh, the no. amount of artists that uh, that is in this world. So and there's only a, a, a selected handful of uh, artists that are like you know actually making a real living out of art. The rest of us are always like you know trying to subsidize our living through different sources. So but then this is not really like you know very explicit even within the artist community. We don't talk about like you know our other means of income. Mm-hmm. So we are always imagining that the person is like selling like you know a dozen painting like you know every mm-hmm. month. And that's how but it's not really it's not true. So so yeah, so this film pretty much like you know, um talk openly about the the precarity that we are facing that is uh, even misunderstood amongst yeah you know that's funny that you say that because um our last guest uh netta when i met her and we were talking about you know teaching jobs and adjuncting and she asked me a question that nobody asks artist to artist which is how much do they pay you and i was like oh that's such a direct question, but it's so important. But I, it just struck me because nobody's asking questions like that. Like, what are you getting monetarily wise right. for your time and yeah. your work and your experience mm-hmm. and all of this? And it's like she was so straightforward yeah. with it. And I was so taken aback. But in in a and I thought we I think we probably do need to talk more about those struggles and yeah. the difficulties because otherwise mm-hmm. you feel you do feel really alone you know in all of, of course that. yeah 
Yeah. And also, we are a lot of time that you know, it's generally we are very individualistic, and uh, we don't really like you know, we don't like to talk about like you know things that you don't talk about things that are not working, and it's hard for us to like you know come together and uh, and really like you know, work together to 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 help each other. In fact, like you know, we are more jealous of each other. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. So so that's also the thing that is like you know that's uh, dysfunctional in the uh, in the mm-hmm. artist community is that you know the jealousy amongst mm-hmm. us. And it makes me think about like a like a dysfunctional family uh, where yeah. maybe say like a parent would pit the children against one another, <gasps> make them compete for mm-hmm. their love, and it's mm-hmm. like I feel like the art market sort of does that with us. Yeah. They create scarcity, or or like you know the idea of. We don't, there aren't that many opportunities, and so we can't freely share, mm-hmm. you know, because that might be something we miss out on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it, it. Yeah, it's um. Yeah, that's so true, and also the, the more similar we are, the more I'm jealous of because <laughs> like, you know, we feel that only a certain like you know character can uh, like you know everyone has a role, and then if you're taking up that role, then I wouldn't be able to play that role. Uh-huh. So if you're, yeah, if I'm right. like Asian, yeah, a, a woman that is like you know it. it that is in this age range, yeah. is doing this type of work. Then, if there's a person, another Asian woman that is like you know doing similar work that is yeah. about my age range, then I'll feel like you know she's a direct competition. Yeah. It, it's, it, yeah. Uh, over what? Over no money. Yeah. 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 So, <laughs> yeah. So competing for zero. Well, competing for zero is so stupid. Yeah. Yeah, but then, but that's how like you know that's that's the thing that is like you know going in this artist community is that we are competing over like you know or like. Peanuts. Yes, right. Yeah, that makes such a good point. Was there any um, like takeaway, like that, like a conclusion that you had from the from you know doing all these interviews and creating the documentary? Like, was there like one thing that you wished artists would do or would remember about all of that? I guess like you know I, I like at least the, the, uh, the making the documentary make uh, gave me like. The sense of um, you know, despite of like you know the jealousy that I talk I I, okay. I spoke about, I also felt that we are a tribe. Mm-hmm. So like you know when I talk about when I'm able to talk openly about my struggle and when other people open up, mm-hmm. we find like you know a community of people that share like you know similar pursuit that we are not really old, like you know that uh, we have aspiration that is bigger uh, beyond just um normal like you know tangible things yes mm-hmm. and uh, and this is how like you know I felt the the that tribal uh-huh. the, the, the camaraderie between yeah. amongst us so there is of course uh, when I talk about jealousy yeah despite of that we have camaraderie mm-hmm. exactly and you, you know actually the act of you making this film even though well okay first off just admitting jealousy mm-hmm. is uh, make is really endearing because we are so reluctant to share any anything we're sort of ashamed of, like yeah. a shortcoming yeah. or feel like. But but to say the system really makes that like how are, how can you not be jealous? It's so it's hard. yeah. But but also that you made this film, which is like helps people understand that everyone is kind of suffering and and like no one's really got it better than anyone else yeah. mm-hmm. 
Yeah, this, there's this uh, there's a bunch of like concept, uh, there's a handful of concept creator of art, and they pick like you know who gets to be shown, who doesn't, and like you know the rest of us are not in that level to uh, mm-hmm. uh to to be even in the level to uh, to make a um, like a con a, a sustainable living to uh-huh, uh-huh. some artwork. So yeah, so uh, yeah, so the uh, and it's like you know I would say like ninety percent of us are like you know creating all this culture without. Mm-hmm. Actually, like you know, making a real living out. Of yeah, you know, it kind of makes sense to me when I think about like why we struggle to make things that are like deep and meaningful, mm-hmm. and like even have the possibility to like help our fellow man. And then you've got someone like Damien Hurst mm-hmm. who make make just objects that hold value for investors, mm-hmm. and they're they're so empty. They're so devoid of any spirit and of course that gets rewarded in capitalism mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, i'm sorry to contradict you oh I, I that's love, okay i love like you know mother and child have you seen that the uh, the uh, damien hearst um, installation is it the, the modern child is it a model of, yeah. of, of like someone's organs no it's a uh, it's a dissected um a calf and a dissected cow. Yes. Yeah. So, so that that the, that work to me has a lot of like you know that's a beautiful work to me. Has a lot okay. Of, like, but is that earlier work. work or is that new? That's a, an earlier work. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I feel like his earlier yeah. work no. is more powerful. I yeah. think. Than, and yeah. I love that you contradict me because <laughs> like I, I, because that's what this is about. This conversation, and I could be called. I could. I could be. Uh, like rained in a little bit when yeah, I go off on but someone. But like you know, of course, I, I do, uh, there's yeah. also work that is like you know, obviously like you know, uh, sell out looking like yeah. the, the 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 painting of the dogs. And That's the, exactly the, what the, I was the thinking of. Yeah. yeah. So those are like you know, those are things that are decorating lobby of like you know boutique hotels. So yeah. It's uh, really not interesting. He's kind of just printing money. Yeah. Yeah, but then like yeah, well, and we compare ourselves to that. But there's absolutely like. No, we do not exist in the same world. We don't. But then, like you know, I've uh, actually like you know uh, been to a Barbara Kruger um talk where she uh-huh. said like you know being it's it's okay to be a seller as an artist. Like you know, she needs money. Like you yeah. know, Damien Hurst needs to make money. So a sellout know. told you it's okay to be a sellout. Yeah. <laughs> well, at least like you know, it's the queen of like you know. It's of, true. Uh, yeah, art like Barbara Kruger that says it's okay. To and I do art. love a lot yeah. of her phrases and such. Yeah. So it's uh, yeah. So so I don't think it's not it's not uh, we we are not like you know even the film like you know we are not uh, we we mentioned uh, the um, someone. Like you know, Nancy Davidson mentioned that we are not like you know we are not a yogi. We need money. That's true. To live. We're we're not yeah eritarians. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's okay. It's not it's not dirty to make money in art. Right. Yeah. So so it's it, it's it doesn't bother me that like you know so much that Damien Hirst yeah sell out in some work that he does. Yeah. Yeah. Because so, also the people investing in those polka dot paintings, mm-hmm. they're never going to come around to wanting anything other than just like buying a stock or a bond mm-hmm. in the shape of an art right. thing. Yeah. Yeah. They're not interested in art. Uh-huh. They're yeah. just interested in investing. They, they so invest again, like being jealous even of Damien Hirst, it's like, we're so different. It's like, I'm, I could be jealous of a squirrel. Like, I can't have a squirrel's life. 
Well, I did. Maybe that's not the best analogy. And, but and, and anyway, like, you know, and also I imagine, like, you know, a big part of, like, you know, the money that is exchanging uh, with, with, uh, from Damien Hurst's work, Damien Hurst is not getting out, getting it. Like, you know, he saw, maybe he saw, maybe he saw that, like, you know, butterfly painting for, like, you know, uh, I don't know, like, uh, 10,000. Uh-huh. The first one, uh, 100,000. Uh-huh. But then, like, you know, but as you know, like, a basket painting is going, what, 20 million? Yeah. Is Basquiat seeing those money? Basquiat was like doing well yeah. when he was leaving. Right. But then he it's definitely he didn't see twenty million. Yeah. Right. You're right. You're right. So so it's not there's this uh there's this uh, world that is like you know that is uh, that is like you know playing with money that is beyond the art world. Yes, it's so, true. Yeah. Right. Investing in art is to the practice of art or the spirit of art as spirituality is to the Vatican. Like mm-hmm. <laughs> it's it's just so separate. Mm-hmm. It's like it's in the guise of spirituality right. or of art or mm-hmm. you know culture, but yeah, it's about something else entirely. Yeah, about power and control yeah. and and money. Yeah. Sukun, where can people so. watch your documentary? I think it says Arte in the, your bio. Is that right? Is that the platform? If they want, uh, to watch there is it? a. The, there's a Canadian platform that is showing the uh, the, the film pay per view and it's called arts dot film. Okay. And uh, yeah, maybe we'll put a link in um, the description. Yeah. I can't recommend it enough to working artists. I feel like it's so it's so good to uh, to mm. see this this uh, documentary. What is the name of it? It's a. Uh, it's called Living for Art. Actually, it's very hard to distribute that film. In fact, like you know, uh, quite a few film distributors have told me that because it has no big name in that film, uh-huh. that it's very hard uh-huh. to get buyers to buy it. Uh-huh. Yeah. So yeah. So it's uh, which is so also just hard. like like in a way like kind of also reinforces why you needed to <laughs> yes in the first uh-huh. place. But uh-huh. um, oh. You know, humans are so silly. I mean, we get it wrong all the time. It's like we need access to stuff like this, you know, to uh, unlearn some behaviors or some thoughts that um, you you don't even know that you're doing it. Like the fact that I think academia or, you know, certain um, institutions reinforce the jealousy or the competition. Yeah. And it's like, yeah. yeah. We're not, we're, and then we don't have access to something that could actually help us, you know, be at peace with like the objects that we make and, and yeah. not feel uh, those feelings. Uh, and, and it's weird. Cause like you think competition will help you push, you know, push your work and make you want to, you know, seek out certain opportunities. But in the end, I think it does kind of make you kind of miserable. Like there's not enough space for all of us to right. exist, which is not true at all. Yeah. And yeah. um and I think it it I don't know if it's really you know, but I I don't know. I mean because artists we do need to make a living. We do need to eat and we do need to have yeah. those basic needs met. Um but you know, um <laughs> yeah. Uh, I keep I keep thinking of the scene in uh, the TV show 30 Rock. Oh my god. Where okay, which Jane, one? Jane Krakowski plays uh, an actress named Jenna Mulroney. Uh-huh. And the producer, uh, Liz, who is uh, Tina Fey, mm-hmm. is telling her, like, oh, uh, Jack, the, the producer, the studio head, wants to hire another cast member. And, and Jenna mm-hmm. Mulroney, who is blonde, says... If it's another blonde woman, I will kill myself, you know. And 
And, okay. and, and yeah. like, it's funny because even in the, like, even though it's funny and desperate and all of these things, like, she, the character, reduces herself to mm-hmm. just a, a blonde, blonde woman. Yeah. Like, that's what she has to offer. And so we can't really believe when the industry wants to say that we're insignificant. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, perhaps in your metric, I'm insignificant, mm-hmm. but I know my worth mm-hmm. and I know that my work is important. Okay, so there was a bit that um, 30 Rock did about the hours. Did y'all notice? No, really? Liz Lemon is watching this in the theater, and she's complaining of how sort of slow the movie is. And she says that it shouldn't be called the hours, it should be called the weeks. So, but I'm fine. <laughs> I didn't feel that way at all. I mean, honestly, I didn't think that it felt slower. But it was, it's not like a... Not at all. It's not high, fast pace, and it, it sort of slowly reveals itself. But, um, you yeah. know, I guess Liz Lemon's she, attention span was just a little too short. Right. For, this For somebody, yeah, like her character that uh-huh. writes, uh, like comedy skits about farting she probably couldn't calm down and watch something like serious or emotional yeah yeah oh man (laughs) but i also love 30 rock i do yeah my boyfriend watches it i i get into it a little bit but i do like her character liz lemon i think it's so funny oh you know before we say goodbye I know Sukun is in a group show here in Berlin uh, coming up in July, early July. July 6th. And that'll be about the time that this uh, broadcast comes out. And so we can promote the show. Where is it? What is it called? So it's called New Relics. Uh, Actually, it's a multiple group show. That means I cannot hear in uh, Kunsthaus Britannien in the gallery that we are doing, like, you know, individual exhibition uh-huh. uh, together ah, so so okay. it's going, my my part of the exhibition is called new relics and it's a um, it's going to be a installation of inflatables ah, and you're having those manufactured here right uh, no i'm going to uh, i have them manufactured overseas and then uh, ship over here ah okay mm-hmm. how big are they yeah like uh, about three meters okay mm-hmm. wow yeah, wow what is the object that is in the inflatable? So it's uh, two hands, and uh, one hand is the hand of a um, of a, a Buddha uh, in a with, with a lotus sign, uh-huh. and then the other one is the hand of uh, the colossal statue of Constantine. Uh huh. And uh, and it's uh, the work talks about like it's about like you know the idea of like time space continuum collapse and yeah. uh, and, uh, and how like you know these two different um, object from uh, a two different sculpture from different era and different culture comes mm-hmm. into a same space. So so yeah, it, it's uh, generally that idea of like you know of um, of this fusion of time and a fusion of um, that is uh, in this uh, how how can I explain the the idea of like uh, of uh, of uh, that that collapse of time and yeah. uh, that that fusion of <laughs> yeah I'm excited to see it. Well, thank you so much, Suku. That's, yeah, that sounds really cool. So look forward to well, seeing. thank you. Like, you know. Your Instagram. By the way, everybody should follow Suku on Instagram because she has a fantastic, um, she's always posting new pictures and it's always fun, kind of fun to see her new work. I really fell in love. Like when uh, Hyde recommended you for the podcast, I was like, oh my God, your work is so lovely and so 
deep and, and, you know, kind of spiritual in a way. And I just fell in love with it. So I'm just thrilled, 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 thrilled that we could have this conversation. And I'm really glad that I finally yeah. saw the hours. I, I feel like I can check that off yes. my, my list of movies that I should have seen a long time ago. And now I finally got to really look at it, you know, and yeah, yeah. yeah. So, thank Same, you. I'm grateful mm-hmm. to watch yeah, it. It's also like really interesting like, uh, to talk to uh, uh, you and Hyde. Like, you know, like I say, like you know, it's very hard for uh, to. It's I, I think like you know this uh, podcast is such a good premise for mm-hmm. artists to come together and like mm-hmm. you know and have a interesting conversation. Yeah. Um, yeah, and yeah. especially like you know art when we are not like you know we are. Oh, it creates like a friend. It fosters a friendship. Yes. Like, between mm-hmm. like artists that. That are not like you know, not already friends. Yes, mm-hmm. and I keep saying it's so much more interesting than an artist talk mm-hmm. because you yeah. sort of get out of your spiel, uh-huh. your elevator pitch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like you really find out how people feel about things. Yeah, I think so. Like, yeah. you know, it's hard, but it's uh, it's already ingrained in us not to not not. To, it's hard to not to play that uh, that mm-hmm. personification of an artist when we are out here yeah. like, presenting ourselves. Like you know, so it, yeah, I think like talking about movies really like uh-huh. uh, makes us take off that that mask. Uh-huh. That, yeah. yeah, it's it's not uh, so much about. Yeah, uh, what am I saying? Like, it's not about your, your, it's, well, we think, it's kind of like a, sorry, I'm so stammering about this, but it reminds me of a Rorschach test where you think you're talking about a spot of ink, Mm -hmm. but you're revealing everything in your internal, like, mind. Right, yeah. You know, and. That's so, so true. But, but, but while we think we're talking about a spot of ink, Mm -hmm. we're free to, Mm -hmm. Like download our feelings. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think so. Like can I? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, thank you for being on. Well, thank you, Aaron, and thank yeah. you. Aaron. I knew you were going to be a good guest. <laughs> well, thank you very much. <laughs> yes, okay. Uh-huh. All right, guys. Thank you. See ya. Yeah. Take care, Aaron. Yeah. Take care. Talk soon. Bye. Okay. Bye. Bye.